Hi. Hi. So, um, what's this book about? You didn't read this one either? Well, I was gonna, but I uh, accidentally read something else. What? Vogue. I hated the book, all right? I have no idea what it's about, and the writer was clearly on drugs when he wrote it. I mean, it just, it went on and on and on like it was written in a total hurry. If I handed in something like this, there's no way I'd get a good grade on it. I mean, it's boring and it's unorganized. And I only read 30 pages of it anyway. Well, that was passionate, albeit entirely misinformed. Who dares follow Miss Kelly's lucid analysis? It's required reading. With Tom and Stella. Episode 66, A Walk in the Woods by Bill Bryson. Yeah, now I've carried this one on several sections of the trail myself. For your purposes, cannot go wrong with this monster. You'll need a rain cover, too, of course. A rain cover? Why? To keep out the rain. The backpacks aren't waterproof? Not 100%. The rain cover weighs 4.6 ounces. You know how much weight it would add to fully waterproof an 85-liter pack? Well, I'll tell you, it's a lot. Let's not forget. No, 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 let me guess. In case you want to do a little impromptu gardening. No, you know the saying, take only memories, leave only footprints? Exactly. Hello and welcome to Required Reading with Tom and Stella, a podcast is brought to you by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. This podcast is all about books and literature, and each month we will take a thorough look at one piece of literature we have both read and determine whether or not it is required reading, provided Skype is cooperating with us. (laughs) And that voice that you hear is my co-host, the Bryson to my cats, Stella. How That's are interesting. You? I'm Tom Panneries, by the way. I should introduce <laughs> yeah. myself. Oh, oh. No, now everyone thinks you're a cat. We're, we're, we are yeah, thrown off people because Skype updated on my side anyways and then just threw us off. So we're using yeah. something else. But yeah, that's interesting that you'd consider me the Bryson and you're the cats. What went into that decision there? Well, I'm the slob. Um, 
I don't know if you're okay. the Bryson. You're not Mary Ellen, so you know. Um, I should hope not. You know, I mean, I could, I, I guess, I could be the, either Bryson or Cats. I'm a middle-aged, overweight white guy. Um, I don't have a beard though, but, um, but yeah. So, you think you get lost, <laughs> and I'd have to find you by a pack of cigarettes? No. Okay. Um, he was pretty proud of that, though. <laughs> he was. You yeah. have no idea what's going on in that side. You're like, um, what has happened to this man and why? Yeah. yeah. No, I have a fairly good sense of direction, um, actually. So I think I think we would both be okay. Um, you would outpace me though. So you'd be you'd be waiting for there's me. the Bryson, yeah, where he would yeah, he would yeah. go and then come back. That that's fine, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you post a lot with, with your son on walks and hikes and things mm-hmm. that you guys do. So you're no slouch at it. Yeah. Yeah. So we're trying to get back into, I'm trying to get back into doing that on the regular because I was just like, wow. Cause I did one, I did dark hollow falls in Shenandoah national park over the weekend. And um, now I probably, I mean, it was cold up there when we started, but I was, uh, I was huffing it up that lat. It was like a mile uphill at the end. I was like, mm. so that was, I was like, wow. But cause like when we got up on the mountain, we, we, we went early you know, I'm like, we need to avoid the crowds. Let's get up and go at like eight o'clock in the morning. We get out there at nine and we're done by lunch. Right. I mean, that's, yeah. that was one of the, it's one of the beauties of, of being around here and having access to like two huge national parks, like the Blue Ridge Parkway and, and Shenandoah. And um, it was like, I think 39, 40 degrees on Saturday morning at around eight, eight thirty when we left here, um, we got up on the mountain it had snowed up there the night before. So Skyline Drive was completely clear, a little wet, but completely clear. But there was still snow like all over the trees. It's actually pretty good. I should have gotten more. I should have gotten pictures of it. It was really, really cool. Because by the time we got off the trail and just started driving back down and stopped at a couple of overlooks, all the snow had melted. <laughs> so that was pretty cool, though. Sounds delightful. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Um, but that that ramble of mine um, is topical, <laughs> considering that we are talking about A Walk in the Woods by Bill Bryson, which is uh, subtitled, by the way, Rediscovering America on the Appalachian Trail. And um, so I guess I have two questions for you. One of them is, of course, what is your history with the book? But the Mm -hmm. other one, because I know you hike, I hike. So, like, what's your history with that particular outdoor sport as it is, like, outdoorsiness or hiking specifically and stuff? Any, any like, huge hikes you've done, anything like that? So, and how did you get into it? Yeah, okay. So, first of all, with this book, similar to The Art of Racing in the Rain, I read this because of that book club that I was, you know, informally a part of. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember who came up with it. I, I feel like maybe some of those books were on lists, like maybe Oprah's reading list. I don't know if this one's on there or not, but I feel like maybe that's how they're getting it. Or it was just popular at the time, which mm-hmm. in the 2000s, I guess, would have had to have some sort of revival since the book really came out in the 90s, right? Yeah, it was published in like 96, 97. Yeah. So this is my second time 
from reading it. And I know there's a film out, but I have no interest in seeing it. And even people have told me that it's not good. Mm. <laughs> so I think probably just stick with the with the book. And and honestly, I don't know how you can capture in film what this book is, because a large portion of it is history and environmental ism. So I don't know really how I think you would just be focusing on Bryson and cats. So which was uh, Robert Redford and Nick Nolte, apparently. So anyway, so that's my history of the book with hiking. I would say, you know, young age, uh, I think part of it was, you know, my mother taking walks with me or biking. And I was like attached to her either, you know, in a shore attached Mm -hmm. to her attached to the bike, walking along the Erie Canal in Pennsylvania. And then I don't really remember doing too much when I was living in Buffalo. And then with Virginia living in Bedford and having the peaks of otter there and Smith Mount Lake having some trails Mm -hmm. and then coming up here. It's just something I just enjoy being outdoors Mm -hmm. and so hiking is just something that naturally happens you know just trying to find fun trails I enjoy trail running more so than running on the streets just because I I like being in nature I think it's really interesting it's also just very calming and and being away from everything Mm -hmm. and so I, I like to find places that I can run as well and where we are you and I Tom we are pretty centrally located to a lot of great hikes yeah you've got old rag you've got crabtree um sugar hollow is that what it's called yeah i believe so yeah yeah uh even you know locally you got pretty creek which is one of my favorite places to go to and frequent in the summer and go on runs there so it's just and humpback of course i can't forget that which is an intense hike in the beginning it is so (laughs) It's it so inclined in the beginning uphill. that people are like huffing and puffing yeah. and then it starts leveling out and it's a short climb. It's also packed with people. So that's definitely one of those yeah. that you have to get there early. But yeah, it's just something that I sought out naturally because I like to be active and I like to be outdoors. And yeah, just, you know, not to get religious on you, but, you know, it's God's gift and and being in nature and just the blessing of of all that's around us and getting to enjoy that is, is a lot of fun and just taking time out from the busyness and insanity of the world. It's kind of one of those things that I can do to actually like calm my brain down or de-stress is like being out there, which is great. No, I, well, I, you know, um, the, me not being very religious, but I still can totally understand that and feel that as well. Because like, I mean, I even turn my radio off when I drive on Skylight, like when I enter a mm-hmm. national park to, to go on a hike, I'm like, once I enter the park, the radio goes off so I can enjoy the drive. And then, yeah, taking in the views and just being out there, um, even honestly, even sitting out on my back deck in like the summer and reading something or writing something it's just it, it, it even if i have to put up with like the sound of leaf blowers and lawnmowers <laughs> it's still it's still very calming so I, I i totally feel that connection to the outdoors um yeah my my uh, my origin with this book is is kind of similar I, my friend tracy recommended it to both me and amanda this has to be like 20 years ago we were living in arlington so she loaned us her copy um, we both read it and, and found it absolutely hilarious. And then, um, 
I never saw the movie, really wasn't interested in seeing the movie, kind of like what you, the same reasons you said. And then about a year or so ago, I was in Barnes and Noble and this was sitting on a buy two, get one free table. Okay. And, you know, that's how they get you. And um, <laughs> as my grandmother used to say, but no, so I, I picked it up and, and you know, and, and here we are. I was like, oh, I've been, you know, it's like, this is due for a reread because um, I read this and then I read like three or four of Bryson's books after it. I read In a Sunburned Country, which is his book about Australia, um, which I kind of enjoyed. It was, I, I remember Australia is not like the most interesting thing to me. I apologize to any of our listeners who happen to be in Australia. Um uh, but like his book was pretty cool up until a point that I, I think I remember it got a little slow. Um, the Lost Continent was one of his books about driving around America. And I read that among like I did this whole reading project a number of years ago where I read like road trip books. Um, and then I read uh, Home at Home, which is it's this really fascinating book about like, you know, the history of the house, at least in sort of British American context. So I, I became a, I became kind of a minor fan of his writing as a result of this. Um, but as far as me and hiking, like I grew up in the suburbs, I grew up on the South shore of long Island. There's like, there aren't that many trails around where I grew up. It's a beach mm-hmm. place, but I grew up in a, I grew up in a neighborhood with sidewalks. I didn't get a car until I was in college. So I was either biking or walking everywhere that I went. And um, when my parents would vacation up in my, they still vacation up in New Hampshire every, um, every summer in a, in a small town called North Sutton on Keyser Lake, which is, I'd say about a half hour, 45 minutes east of Hanover where uh, Bryson was living at the time. And, um, you know, my sister and I would like walk completely around the lake, which is this huge, like a three mile walk on paved and non-paved roads. Um, you know, and so I kind of had that thing like early, I liked getting around and going exploring, I guess is the best way to put it. Mm-hmm. And then, um, the first time I did like a deep woods hike, I did with the college hiking club. We went to Harper's Ferry in West Virginia and did that. So I did hike a little bit of the Appalachian trail as a part of that circuit that we did. And then um, when I lived in Arlington after college, Amanda and I would go out to Great Falls National Park, which is on the Potomac, um, you know, the border between Virginia and Maryland. We usually did the Virginia side, although we did the Maryland side once or twice. Uh, We did the Billy Goat Trail over there. Um, We would drive down 95 to Prince William Forest Park, which is just about maybe 10 minutes north of her parents. It's right near Quantico. And we would just do some of the trails in there. And then one of my favorite things to do in sort of an urban hiking thing, um, I did the entirety of the George Washington Memorial Parkway bike path, bike and walking path that starts up in Roslyn by the Key Bridge and goes all the way to Mount Vernon. Um, I did it in segments over just the course of like like a few months. And then what I would do, um, the urban hiking that I would do is I would, I lived on a metro line and I lived with access to that George Washington Parkway trail. So I used to metro from Arlington in Crystal City out to the Archives Navy Memorial Smithsonian or Arlington National Cemetery metro stops and then walk around parts of the National Mall and then walk back to my apartment. And sometimes run. So that was I was it was no trail hiking or anything, but it was just this lengthy thing among, you know, so 
And then when we moved down here to Charlottesville, doing some of the things you talked about, like, you know, uh, the Ivy Creek natural area is the place that Brett and I go like quite a bit. Um, and which is not very far from where we live. I think we're about 10 minutes away. And, uh, and then we went out to Shenandoah national park over the weekend and we've done that a few times. So we did humpback rocks, um, a year ago or two years ago, it was 2020. And, uh, yeah, I just love it. You're right. This area of Virginia is like, you're, you're within a, a not even a day's drive, like a couple hours drive of some really, really good hiking. And, and just, it's, it's very, very nice to get out of the woods. So, mm-hmm. So yeah, so there's kind of something kind of personal, I guess, uh, with this book, or at least it kind of taps into something that we both enjoy, I guess you could say. Do you so. think you could ever do one of these long hikes? I would love to. Um, I don't know if I have the time, <laughs> the money. I would, I would love to try to plan something I've never camped before, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. I've never ever, I've camped, I've slept in a tent once. It was my friend's bachelor party. We all went camping at like a KOA campground somewhere in Maryland, but that wasn't really like camping. It was, it was, we were sleeping in tents, but it was like, you know, we pulled the car up to the campsite, you know, <laughs> and the only yeah. other time I've been quote camping is my parent, my, not my parents, my grandparents had one of those like Shasta campers, you know, like, you know, they would drive up to the beach at Smith point park on, on, on fire Island and stay there for like a week. And they basically be at the beach and we'd sleep in the camper and we go to the beach and stuff like that. So, but yeah, I, I'd love to try this. My uncle Roger hiked most of the Appalachian trail. Oh, wow. He lives up in the, he lives up in Maine. He owns a dairy farm up in Maine. And uh, yeah, he, he hiked it. Uh, this is years ago. It was like 20, 25 years ago. Cause he's in his seventies now. Um, and uh, yeah, he, I don't, I think he, I think he had some segments that he, in like the Northeast that he hadn't finished, but I, and I'm not sure if he finished the hundred mile wilderness or whatever it's called, but I know he did the, he did the entire thing. I know at least from Georgia to Harper's Ferry and bits and pieces um, in between there. So I, I mean, to me, that's like amazing, you know, like that's really impressive. So would you? I would. Yeah. I think there's always the, the danger of it, you know, mm-hmm. because I, I would just do it on my own, but I just wonder, Oh, is that safe to do it on your own? <laughs> um, I don't know what the statistics are. I know what they were yeah. when the, when the book was going on, but I guess that that's like a, like a future goal, you know, to find uh-huh. a partner or whoever's like <laughs> wants to do the whole trail. But yeah, I mean, you'd be basically, I think, on a sabbatical like you would need yeah. to give up a year maybe of work yeah. and and just be intentional like we're doing this and yeah. <laughs> we're gonna make it but yeah. yeah i i would love to yeah there's something in the solitude of it though to be completely honest with you and not just because like you know you don't have to worry about somebody else but um the when I've done stuff like this by myself and they never really, you know, when I've done hikes like this by myself, cause I did humpback rocks by myself years and years ago before Brett was even born. There's something in like getting into that zone of being by yourself and doing the hiking. And um, yeah, you, you're, you're not antisocial toward people you run into, but I don't know. It's just this feeling that like, I'll, I'll get what I'm doing in the middle of something and I don't have to be concerned with anybody around me. I know that's so selfish, Gee, I hope you understand what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
right, well, let's get into the book here. I'll talk a little bit about our, ho- our, um, our writer, and then I'll talk about his writing process for the book and some things behind it, and then I'll get into the plot. So um, the source for my bio of Bill Bryson comes from his website on the Penguin Publishing website. Um, Bill Bryson was born in Des Moines, Iowa in 1951. His best-selling books include The Road to Little Dribbling, Notes from a Small Island, A Walk in the Woods, One Summer, and The Life and Times of the Thunderbolt Kid. In a national poll um, in Britain, Notes from a Small Island was voted the book that best represents Britain. His acclaimed work of popular science, A Short History of Nearly Everything, which I own but have not read yet, won the Aventus Prize and the Descartes Prize and was the biggest selling nonfiction book of its decade in the UK. He also wrote At Home, which is a history of the home, room by room in both England and America. And like I said, I would recommend that book. It was really good. And his 2019 book, The Body, A Guide for Occupants, was shortlisted for the Royal Society Science Book Prize and is an international bestseller. Bill Bryson was Chancellor of Durham University from 2005 to 2011. He is an honorary fellow of the Royal Society, and he lives in England. So the book itself, uh, the inspiration for the book is mentioned at its beginning, as Bryson says in an interview done by Town and Country Magazine back in 2015. Um, And my main source for this was with the Wikipedia page about the book and then kind of cobbling together things from various articles. So the Town and Country Magazine article, he says that in 1995, he went back to the U.S. with his family after living away from America for almost 20 years. And he says, we settled in Hanover, New Hampshire. I was trying to think of an idea for another book and some kind of project. And I was genuinely out for a walk and stumbled onto a sign board for the Appalachian Trail, which I only knew a little bit about and had no idea that it ran through this town that we had just moved to. I was genuinely taken by the idea of this of the immensity of this trail, 2,200 miles. If you've lived in 20 years in England, 2,000 miles is just off the charts. You can't conceive of such a great distance. Britain is a country that's like 700 miles top to bottom. So it was just the immensity of it. And the idea that I might in some way reconnect with, the, with America, that I would discover this land I'd grown up in. So what you read here in this book is the account of the trip, which uh, that I'll give you that when I get to the plot synopsis. The writing process, I guess, comes into play when he's crafting the narrative, because after all, when you think of it, a 200-page book of two guys walking through 2,000 miles of woods isn't exactly the most thrilling prospect, right? Mm. Um, This is where Bryson, as Bryson and Katz were going through their trip, he found the narrative of their relationship and quest, quote, against the trail, kind of the two of us against the trail thing. In fact, this is where he took some liberties with the Katz character. Katz's name is not Stephen Katz. It's Matt Angerer, A-N-G-E-R-E-R. And Angerer told an interview, um, or Bryson told an interview, sorry. He was quite depressed at this time. This would have been about 1995 when they, uh, when they did this trip. He was struggling with chronic alcoholism. He'd had a long-term relationship fell apart. He was feeling sorry for himself. He hadn't had a decent job in years. He just felt like life had kicked him in the balls and he wasn't doing very well. And I portrayed all of that and it was just depressing. And I just thought, this is terrible. This isn't going to work at all. And then my revelation with that was instead of making him just depressed, I just made him angry, which he also was. I made it much more that he was angry with the trail rather than angry with life. Because he was, he was angry at the trail because it was so hard. And I just sort of dropped off the other reasons that were making him an angry person in life. 
And so it really became the two of us against the trail. And then it started to work much better, I think, as a narrative. Angerer, who has interviewed it for the Des Moines Register in 2015, because there were a bunch of articles that they kind of caught up with Bryson and like the book itself when the movie came out. Um, he says, quote, the book is true for the most part, although there was a lot more causing cussing, a couple of teeth he got knocked out in a fall, and the fact that he wasn't as much of a womanizer as depicted. By the way, he got sober again. He remarried in 2006. He had a leg amputated due to a blood clot. And as of 2015, was still living with his wife in Iowa. Now, the book was a huge bestseller. It helped launch Bryson's career in the United States. Uh, prior to this, he'd been a bestselling author in England. A Walk in the Woods was named by CNN as the funniest travel book ever written. A review in the New York Times stated that readers, quote, may find themselves turning the pages with increasing amusement and anticipation as they discover that they're in the hands of a satirist of the first rank. The New Yorker described the book as a wry, well-researched account. The book was met with anger among some members of the Appalachian Trail community with letters to the Appalachian Trailway News, a newsletter of the uh, ATC or Appalachian Trail Conservancy, excoriating Bryson for his perceived cynicism, ill-formed complaints, and demeaning portrayal of Southerners. We'll get to that. Despite this, it has been credited for a 50% increase in long-distance hiker numbers among during the two years that followed its publication. Um, there was a film adaptation, as we both noted, in 2015. It was directed by Ken Quapis. Uh, it was released with Robert Redford starring as Bryson and Nick Nolte as Katz. Kristen Schaal, Mabel Pines, played Mary Ellen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that almost makes me want to see it for that yeah. reason alone. Emma Thompson played Bryson's wife, and Nick Offerman had the appear has an appearance as the REI salesman, which I can picture Nick Offerman being the guy who sells Bryson all of his gear. So uh, yeah. the film had been in development since Redford purchased the rights in 2005, but when it was released, it received mixed reviews. It made 29.5 million domestically against a budget of eight million dollars. So it's not a hit, but it turned a profit. Uh, if you want to watch it, it's currently a rental on Amazon uh, for like $3.99 or something. And it's also available on YouTube for the same price. It can be streamed for three for free through Tubi, at least according to Google. So, all right. Um, I do have to comment. I don't think I said, I don't think I have a question about this, but I will make one comment. Um, so if you go to the Wikipedia page, um, they have a picture of the first edition of the hardcover of the book. And it's much different than like what we're seeing. It's like um, a moose is on the cover. Actually, it's kind of an illustration of the moose, but the version that I've always known and has been for the paperback really since it started in paperback, or at least since the early two thousands was like this, this one that I have in front of me, which is um, woods. And the, the first like two thirds of the frame on the cover are woods um, and bottom third is like a bear with bear snoots so um i was just kind of like it was surprising because it's like one of those things where you're so used to seeing like one image for a cover and then you see like what this is the original cover this is a different cover you're like that doesn't look right to me so that was kind of a kind of a weird thing for me when i when i looked at the wikipedia page i was like oh that was the first edition cover because i'm so used to seeing like you know this bear snoots on my on my book cover so 
Bear anyway, suits? yeah, bear Sounds snoots. like you're saying bear suits. <laughs> no, bear snoots. So, all right, here is the plot. Bill Bryson is a writer who at the time of the book was in his mid-40s. He was living in Hanover, New Hampshire. This is, by the way, the home of Dartmouth College, in case anybody is wondering. And it is also very close to the Vermont border. Um, he had also returned to the United States recently after living 20 years in England. As he settled, as he has settled into this college town, he becomes interested in the Appalachian Trail, as I mentioned in my uh, background here, because it does not run too far away from his house. And inspired, especially by its vastness, he decides that he is going to through hike the trail. Through hiking, for those who are the initiated, is to do a hike of a complete trail from beginning to end without stopping or breaking it up. So that is basically like 2,200 miles of trail in one shot. And he's going to begin in Georgia and finish in Maine, probably begin in Georgia sometime in the late spring. So by the end of the summer into the fall, he's in Maine. He gears up, spending a small fortune of money on his gear, and he calls up an old friend named Stephen Katz, with whom he had traveled across England 20 years prior. Uh, this, by the way, is told in Notes uh, from a Small Island, which is that early writing success he had in England. Now, Bryson at this point hadn't seen Katz in like a decade or two, and his so his friend decides to come along the trip, and upon his arrival in New Hampshire, we see that Katz, who is a recovering alcoholic at this point, is overweight. He is completely out of shape, and he also has very little concept as to what exactly hiking something as massive as the Appalachian Trail entails. Then again, Bryson really doesn't either, but at least he tries to put on airs like he does. Anyway, um, Katz also seems pretty devoted to packing junk food. This becomes a running gag in the book as cats can very often be seen with Snickers, cream soda, and uh, Little Debbie snack cakes. They fly down to Georgia. They set off on the trail, both almost immediately being hit with how difficult this endeavor actually is, especially cats who wheezes and curses his way through it and at one point gets so frustrated that he chucks several pounds of supplies, including a number of pieces of their food, basically off a cliff. Um, through Georgia and into the Great Smoky Mountains, they begin to establish. They begin to establish a pace and also meet a woman named Mary Ellen, who constantly nitpicks every single aspect of their existence and is an all-around tremendous pain in the rear end. So they ditch her, which Bryson does eventually feel guilty about over a slice of pie because Katz is like, you know maybe we shouldn't have ditched her and he's about to eat this pie that he's been thinking of the whole time. And he's like, you effing ruined it for me. So um, we do find out later that Mary Ellen gave up because like the blisters on her feet or something were really, really terrible. So and they she get back. spoke badly about them. Oh yeah. She, she badmouthed everything and everybody too. Yeah. <laughs> and what's funny was that like, she, she was very much like, and we'll get to her a little bit, but she was always like, you know, don't do that. That's stupid. And then she like do the exact thing that she was chiding them for. Mm -hmm. So, um, so they get back on the trail. They both consider actually ditching at one point or another as well, uh, especially because of the various conditions um, and what happens because they run into rough terrain. It, it rains, it snows at one point 
And this is where they're in like the Smokies, which is one of the tougher parts of the trail in on its southern end. So what they decide to do is get off the trail in Tennessee and they get a ride to Roanoke and they pick up the trail again in Virginia. Yeah. From there, they hike through Virginia and they eventually meet up with Bryson's family. This is where they head off the trail because Bill actually has work he has to do. There's like this is their scheduled end. Um, and their hiatus. So they propose to meet up again in a few more months. The benefits that of this hiking expedition are pretty obvious to the two of them. They are both in much better shape than they were before. But Bryson also is a little wistful. He realizes he will not actually be able to accomplish what he set out to do, which was to hike the entire Appalachian Trail. But few actually do. It's one of a number of factoids he peppers throughout the book. Between episodes of their hiking, he gives a history of the trail, as well as some critical analysis of the efforts to create, preserve, and maintain it. Um, During the hiatus that they have from hiking, uh, at least Katz and Bryson hiking it together, uh, Bryson does return to to writing, but he at times does pick up some of the trail in different states. He, most notably Pennsylvania and New Jersey. Um, he tries to do this like in sections. He doesn't like out and back and out and back and out and back. He doesn't enjoy this at all. Um, and eventually he does meet up with cats again. And their big thing when they meet up again for the second time is to hike what's called the hundred mile wilderness. And this is a particularly brutal stretch of the trail in Maine. It's like the last hundred miles or so too. Um, and uh, when they do this, we do get some cat's shenanigans. Uh, the man thought that carrying a newsboy's messenger bag was a better approach than a backpack. That quickly gets abandoned. And Bryson discovers that Katz has started drinking again in the intervening months that they were away. He had been living alone. He had been working uh, like construction and roofing, that sort of thing. And his friends would all go out for beers. And he's like, no, I really can't. I'm reformed. And one night he's like, well, I'll go to the bar with you, but I'll, I won't drink. And then eventually one thing led to another and he fell completely off the wagon. Then uh, as a result of this and a couple other things, the two of them have a pretty big falling out during this hike and they don't speak to each other for the better part of a, of like a day or so, but eventually they do make up. The 100-mile wilderness, which is that last 100 miles or so through the Great North Woods to the trails end at Mount, Mount Cathedon, Cathedon, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, is the biggest stretch of backcountry that they will have to face. And it's also one of the most dangerous since, whereas even in the tougher part of like the Smokies and stuff, there were places where they could get off the trail, find a small town, find a way station, find a shelter or something, get water, get resupplied, spend the night somewhere more comfortable than camping. There's nothing like that up in these woods. If you're going to hike through the woods, you're hiking through the woods with everything that you have on your back and you, you know, better be prepared. Um, And you're nowhere near civilization either. And that's the other problem. So um, they can't stop and resupply. And a few days into it, they get separated. Bryson goes an entire day without seeing cats and when the two finally unite, cats, uh, as I said, left a trail of like um, left a trail that eventually led to a cigarette a pack of cigarettes and stuff, um, so that he could find him. And cats uh, is battered; he's bruised; he's had a near death experience, and he basically turns around and says, "You know, I can't do this. Let's go home." And uh, 
and and he does. And uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna close out the summary by reading the last like three or four paragraphs in the book because it's a re- I really like the conclusion to the book. So um, I will say that um, you know they're they're gonna leave uh, they're gonna leave the trail. And he's at one point he says uh, they get to a store and Katz is like you know the X Files is on tonight and he disappears happily into the store like you know yeah I'm done. But um, Bryson ends the book like this. He says, I have regrets, of course. I regret that I didn't do Catherine, although though I will, I promise you, I will. I regret that I never saw a bear or wolf or or followed the paddling retreat of a giant hellbender salamander, never shoot away a bobcat or sidestepped a rattlesnake, never flushed a startled boar. I wish that just once I had truly stared death in the face, briefly with a written assurance of survival. But I got a great deal else from the experience. I learned to pitch a tent and sleep beneath the stars. For a brief, proud period, I was slender and fit. I gained a profound respect for wilderness and nature and the benign dark power of woods. I understand now, in a way that I never did before, the colossal scale of the world. I found patience and fortitude that I didn't know I had. I discovered an America that millions of people scarcely know exists. I made a friend. I came home. Best of all, these days when I see a mountain, I look at it slowly and appraisingly with a narrow, confident gaze and eyes of chipped granite. We didn't walk 2,200 miles, it's true, but here's the thing, we tried. So Katz was right after all, and I don't care what anybody says, we hiked the Appalachian Trail. So that is the book. Um, in a in a nutshell, there's there's a lot more uh, there's a lot more to it, especially when he goes into detail about the different things that he talks about as far as like the history of the trail and and how it came about and how it's been conserved and and such and, and some of his commentary, which we'll get into. But before we get into our discussions, um, Stella, I have to ask you, did you like it? <laughs> Do you have to ask me that, Tom? Technically, it's in the it. script. <laughs> I did enjoy it. I liked it the first time I read it. I liked it the second time. I was trying to think whether I went in with expectations. I forgot how heavy the, because I would say 50% is history slash environmental factoids. Mm -hmm. So I forgot about that, but uh, I did enjoy it. Yes. Yeah, I, I I liked how I, I love the book as well. You know, it's I, you're not going to much. You know, you're not you're not exactly going to get an argument out of me with this. Um, I will say I liked the way he alternated or peppered or he he provided a really nice balance um, between all of the factoids and the the discussions and the um, histories and things like that, and the story of him and cats. And I want to say. I thought he weaved them in there really well. It didn't take me out of the book, you know, or I wasn't like, Hey, let's get back to the trail, man. Cause another book that kind of does that is John Krakauer's into the wild. And, um, and, and I'm not the only one, every student I've talked to who's read the book, they're like, I love the book into the wild when he was focusing on Christopher McCandless and his trip. But when he got out of that to either, go into a little history or talk about how he related to him because of something he did, it took me completely out of the story. And I wanted to get back to the, to the main part. 
I did, and I and I agree. And and I've always had I've had a lot of conversations with students about that over the years. With this book, I didn't feel that. I was like, you know, he's telling me something, and I'm sitting back and I'm listening. I'm like, this is really fascinating to me, you know. And then when they get back to where they were in the story, it's like, you know, okay, like this is really going to be fun to see them. It was like a, um, I, I thought it had a really really good pace to it too. So it went quick, but it didn't blow by. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So um, the subtitle of the book, like I said, is Rediscovering America on the Appalachian Trail. And, and at the time, like I said, he recently returned to the States. So in the positive and negative, because we, we did talk about his, his histories that he relates and some of the commentaries he gives, like in a positive sense, in the negative sense, like how is he rediscovering America as it is, as it was in the time about 25 years ago, and maybe still is now? How did he, could you, I'm sorry, could you <laughs> re-say your question? Like he says he rediscovers America, right? Yes. How? And how okay. does he rediscover it in, po- in a positive light and in a negative light? Okay. You know, like it's not all, it's not all amber waves of rain here, right? So. No, it is not. Uh, I think rediscovering it as it was, you know, originally before people started messing with everything, <laughs> because that's how that's just how the world was. Right. You, of, of course, you would have pockets of humanity in different places. But now, you know, it's the 90s and, and now it's mm-hmm. built up. We're tearing down swaths of land and trees for whatever reason and those are disheartening sections by the way of all the the timber that was taken down yeah but yeah so i think that's the past of just like this is what it naturally was and of course you're on at times i think an unnatural trail because things there had to be some bushwhacking but just being in there and like oh wow you know i could be looking at things that have been here for a very long time um, so that I would say is a positive aspect, just getting back to, to the roots of what, um, this particular continent actually looked like mm-hmm. and negative aspect, rediscovering America. I think getting to know the different people groups throughout, uh, could be positive or negative. It's hard to maybe trust him as a narrator, because I think there are certain biases getting in there. But just, you know, starting from the South and moving up and, and seeing the, the different people that are living in the towns as well. Um, I think, was it West Virginia? That was like not the best. Um, like the town was just really small. There wasn't much to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that it was that one he was doing that. his go between his his back and forth. I think he was doing something yeah. with um, West Virginia. So that in that case, it's almost like discovering because it's not like he had ne- necessarily been in those parts. Um, but they didn't look because I mean, on- honestly, there are parts of this country, West Virginia, I think, is is a good example of that, that uh, are poverty, poverty stricken. And I-, I think he got a close look at what that actually looks like, whereas he might have been very much removed from that where he was currently living. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think mainly those would be my my answers there. Yeah, it's an interesting perspective too because, you know, I've uh, when you when you think of of Appalachia, the the, the region, 
that surrounds this trail, that surrounds these mountains and things like that. And West Virginia is a great example of it, right? Or, or the very Western parts of Virginia, et cetera. The, the view tends to be, there's a recognition of the poverty that, and, and, and they are very poverty stricken areas, but there's also some sort of like, a, I've seen enough pieces, news pieces or, or articles in um, the Washington Post or whatever that are almost like gawking at the freak show or the accident type of attitude tone of a sort of like pity on these people that I don't think they necessarily want, you know, um, mm. Bryson. Um, and, and then I've also seen like, you know, travel shows and things where they go to places like West Virginia and they're very, you know, they're very respectful, but they're, cause they're supposed to play the nice travel host. Bryson is a bit abrasive in the way he approaches them. But to me, that is really authentic especially as someone who grew up in the Northeast and without even realizing it until I started living in the South had grown up or had instilled in him a very negative view of people, mm-hmm. you know, and, and a very snotty and a very snotty view too. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't think I was a complete um, jerk <laughs> to people, but but that that sort of air he puts on and the condescending attitude he has, um, I unfortunately can relate to it. And I ironically enough have an appreciation for the fact that he is very honest about the feelings for the people he's running into. And mm-hmm. I think that makes I actually think it makes him likable in that sense because. I don't know, like, because I don't think he's a total, total jerk, you know, and I don't think he holds himself in an enormous amount of esteem. You know, he 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 is quite self-deprecating in places, mm-hmm. you know, and he he knows how bumbling he can be. So he doesn't put himself off as like above everybody. But I think if he if he didn't have those very honest feelings about the people he was encountering whatever i think it would feel it would come off as fake you know like you want your person you want him to be like a very three-dimensional person i feel like he is um but then again i i am of the opinion that you don't necessarily have to have a likable narrator and his so he i find him likable but i find parts of him that are just like "Eh, you're kind of a you're kind of a dick um but I also find when you're talking about trustworthy of narr- the trustworthiness of the narrator, I trust him in that I know he is being honest, even if he is not always 100% accurate because that's his perception, right? I mean, does that, mm-hmm. does that track or am I, or does that make sense or am I, or am I just like kind of? No, speaking? yeah, I think I, I certainly agree with you. I would just hesitate. Well, because. You know, what is someone's perspective being a Southerner reading that? You know, maybe one of those 
regions or areas where he's really letting into them, you know, because they mm-hmm. would probably take offense at that and, and be like, where is this coming from? Because that is his perspective. That's what he's seen. But is it exaggerated? Is that actually, you know, how they're like? Mm. Um, yeah so I yeah it's hard and and I get what you're saying about you don't need to have obviously we don't need to have any sort of blah 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 for a book to work Mm. I like to enjoy my narrators if only because I want to be somehow emotionally invested in them because if if they're not likable then I don't really want to waste my time and I agree with you I think that um I would, I would say, you know, a great majority of the time he is, he's fun, he's funny. And then there are some times I'm like, yeah, you know, (laughs) cringing a bit like, oh man, what are you doing here? So yeah, it's, it's interesting, especially living in Europe for so long. Mm -hmm. And we know that Europeans have mostly, I won't say all of them, but they have a pretty poor, um opinion of americans so that's pretty ironic coming from a culture or an area that would treat us the way that he's treating certain parts or regions yeah. of the u.s yeah um yeah I, I i agree with that yeah i think i think my my love for the fact that he is a very just very human very flawed person in some places like you're like yeah oh wow um comes from the fact that i think i've encountered too many too many internet conversations and too many um, discussions around characters where the people who like those characters are a little too squee about them. Um, and, oh, I see. you know, like, you know, this is, there's almost like, and, and, you know, it's, it's mostly like places like Twitter and stuff where it's like, does, does the character like almost like a, a an expecting a perfection of, of characters, especially there, there's something very mature and adult about Bryson, even as immature as he is mm-hmm. in places there's something immature about the storytelling that he allows himself to be uh, not perfect or the exemplar of something. And, and I think I've just run into too many <laughs> discussions about literature lately on Twitter that have been like, you know, but here's all the ways that which they don't check all the boxes for what I want. I'm like, yeah, but they don't have to. Um, but, but with the Southerner thing, I'm jumping around our questions, by the way, um, the Southerner thing, it is very caricaturish in places. He makes that really cliche by now deliverance joke, you know, oh, sure. at least yeah. once references deliverance, which is, I think, in a way. And I don't know if for generations younger than yours and mine, if they still have this view or share this view or even to know what deliverance is. But for a significant portion of the country of adults, that stereotype is very much alive. You know, the sort of like squinty eyed hillbilly kid playing dueling banjos on the porch at the scene in the movie. And it's just like, you know, it's, it's been a running joke for like 40, 50 years of comedy of like, you know, the heck and the hillbilly. And um, now I taught, for nine years in a high school in a pretty rural county in Virginia, some of those stereotypes, they come from somewhere. And I've encountered some of that really like rednecky stereotype stuff. But at the same time, I wonder if he's being a little too unfair here, you know, because these people by and large 
are honestly just people, you know, and, and a lot of them are, there are a lot of there. I mean, there, there's, there's a-holes everywhere, right. You know, um, so he's going to run into a few who, who are like that, but then there are a lot of people around here who are like salt of the earth, like really, really nice people. And um, so I think he is being a little too characterish, caricaturish and a little too unfair. What do you think? Yeah, I think that I think that's the nature of stereotypes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, of course, you can listen to Quinoa a couple episodes and they're talking about racial pride versus stereotypes and things mm-hmm. like that. But I feel like stereotypes have some origin in reality and truth, mm-hmm. but they just like spun out of control because, you know, otherwise, where did where did even that idea come from? Um, and it's interesting how a big joke, you know, part of appearance and, and how they talk and how they live is that they, they usually marry pretty close. But honestly, like we've read, <laughs> we've read stories where cousin marrying is like, you know, the, the, the mostly in England and everything in a, in a particular time. So that's just very interesting how it didn't really transcend. There's no negative stigma about marrying your cousin there. No, so, it's just the hemophilia. <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. Thinning out the, the blood. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I think it is unfair. I don't know. I mean, I like you, you know, we're we are northerners. So I think mm-hmm. our opinions on southerners maybe and we've been down here enough that i yeah. think it's sort of calmed down a bit but i certainly do still harbor like some opinions for example they do talk slower than i sometimes would like and i'm just waiting for this end of the sentence to occur and that's i'm just you know kind of one of those people that yeah you know get to your point and and have faster (laughs) cadence things like that so i i feel i feel bryson in that there is something innate it's innate maybe in in northerners that maybe you just grow up and there is some sort of social rival or cultural rivalry that you are born with uh against the the southerners but i don't go to the extreme of saying well you're probably you know you've dated or kiss someone very close to you didn't you and all this but no, it is played for laughs i think and and i think perhaps he knows his audience and and knows that they would get it but also he may not know his audience well enough that hey you're hiking the appalachian trail which begins in georgia there might be people who you know are going to read that and and take offense yeah i think what's interesting to me is is as you're talking about that i'm thinking like where do these stereotypes come from where does the knowledge of what southerners are like come from and it honestly boils down to like two movies you have as as my wife once joked you know i can be i'm southern i'm not country um (laughs) gone with the wind (laughs) or deliverance right the because there is a there's that that opposite stereotype of the southerner you know the the, the Blanche Devereaux, you know, yeah, the southern, southern, yeah. right. Um, and then there's the country, you know, there's, 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 and sometimes they talk very slow or sometimes they sound like Boomer from King of the Hill, you know, you know, and, and um, uh, as somebody who naturally talks very fast to begin with, because it's just a, <laughs> it's a Long Island thing. Um I can relate to that, but, but yeah, the, the, the slowness of life thing 
that was one of the things that always like this is, is it because it's always so damn hot around here? <laughs> um, everybody just moves slower. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, no, I, I think, um, I, I think he gets, I think he addresses that social issue too, as a way of just showing it and not telling it and allowing us to, to have our, have our thing about it. And, and I, I mean, granted, I don't, I I'm also a Northern northerner and always will be um you know uh so i don't have the perspective of like whether or i would be offended by it um Mm -hmm. and such it is quite a small part of the book though too you know it's only the beginning and stuff um because he has commentary on a lot of other things from you know the the people who founded the trail to the army corps of engineers to the to everything's like that um but let's focus a little bit on the narrative and on some of these characters before we actually dive back into some of the social and stuff like that. Um, Bryson and Katz, uh, you know, he, ta- he talked about in that interview how he framed their relationship again and how he had Katz be more angry at the trail than angry at life, et cetera, et cetera. But they're very much the odd couple with Bryson being the Felix character and Katz being Oscar. Um, And there's a lot of humor to be mined in their relationship with one another. You know, he is the way he talks to Katz where he's like, Steven, you cannot do that. Like, or something like that. It's like, it's, it's so stuffy. I can hear like I can honestly hear Tony Randall saying it or or Jack Levin saying it, whereas like, you know, Katz is kind of the slob. But aside from a lot of the humor and the relationship and the interaction, what is he showing us about men and friendships? Because we we had we did have a friendship between two boys a few um or two young men a few yeah. months ago when we had a separate piece. But we really I don't think we had a ton of exploration in this especially among like grown men because they're middle-aged so what do you think he is showing about showing us about this <laughs> do, you, do you think that and i guess this could be true as maybe any adult but i i don't know i feel like men have less of an ability to change once they've settled in whatever their ways are going to be then then what you can <laughs> you yeah. can you can let me know if i if 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 i'm on the wrong track but even well it's interesting because the wife said you know didn't you want to kill him in europe said, oh, no 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 and he was like misremembering but she knew what was up which was pretty funny so you know he has this idea bryson has this idea that it's all going to be it'll be great and i think right off the bat he realizes like oh wow this is going to be this is going to be tougher than than i realized and i think there is a lot of frustration though he doesn't make the novel all about that and and i think they do get used to each other but i think they both have these really distinct personalities and they're going to do what they're going to do on the trail and I think Bryson, I don't know, I call him, I can just call him Bill if I wanted to. Yeah, but I think uh, Bill, it's a habit of mine. Yeah. It's a habit of mine. 
Bill initially, I think, wanted to like either cats to change to him or he was trying to accommodate cats. And then he got to a point where he's like, I'm going to this is what I'm going to be doing. And I, I'm going to be ahead of him. I won't wait for him. I'll settle down wherever and then I'll come and meet him. And I think that was a, a really big character shifting moment because otherwise he would have been frustrated the entire time because, yeah, Stephen was just not keeping up and then it would just been this whole thing. So they got into this rhythm and they happened to, they were together, but alone on the trail to a certain extent. And he just got used to that and, and used to how Stephen was. But there were still these moments, I think, of, oh, my gosh, you know, this guy who threw out crucial things like their second go around when he threw out water, which was a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, some of the why are we taking this sort of food, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so male friendships. So I think part one of, of that answer is just, I think it is tough for men of a certain age to change. Mm-hmm. And I say that if only because when I look politically, like in real life, it seems like men are more settled in their ideas than you know women who, who could potentially change and shift with the times. Yeah, I think also men especially the men you're talking about here don't seek out the possibility of changing their ways or opinions and instead seek reinforcement of those ideas yeah yeah confirmation bias and all those other things play into it where they just basically fall deeper down that rabbit hole they don't really talk about serious things in my opinion like they don't talk about life very often I, I think really one of the most poignant episodes because it was mainly it, it almost could have been the only one was about the alcohol and mm-hmm. you know all that stuff that had happened and then uh Stephen also being honest and like was just done with the trail and everything but otherwise they don't really talk I mean because it could have been a really good moment for them to deepen their friendship if they even had a friendship to begin with, but to deepen whatever relationship they had. And it seemed like, and obviously he's not going to write every little tidbit, but if he, I think there are reasons why he's choosing the conversations that he is choosing to include. And the fact that he just included that one personal anecdote at the end, I thought was very interesting. So I don't know if it's, is it harder for men to have, you know, d- older men, for older men to have the deeper relationships? Was it just not the time on the trail? Because I feel like, man, that it's you in the wilderness. You should you I, should probably either break up with this person or have the deepest relationship with this person that you've ever had. So I think that these are just questions or things that I'm observing. But because you are a man of a similar <laughs> age, you might be able to enlighten the audience. I think... It's very, now I don't know if the current crop of teenagers, when they get to be 44, as I am, or turning 45 in a couple months, um, will have the same difficulty of sharing um, very deep things with their male friends. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it's a generational thing in addition to an age thing, in addition to a male thing, but. In many cases, yeah, the men don't, um, because we've been conditioned, you have to, and we have to think too, we've been conditioned to wall off those feelings, right? Like, 
the anger is a really good illustration of that. And I know he would say he was angry, angry at the trail and everything, but he was very angry at life. And I was talking about this to somebody, I think it was to my wife. And I was talking about how I was talking about something with my therapist and, and my essentially innate inability to cry. And, um, and that's not because I'm dead inside, but like, you know, one of the things you learn um, and really it's not taught to you, you pick it up through experientially, basically, is that when you are a man, the appropriate reaction to something that is upsetting to you is not to cry but it's to get angry. So, and, and there, it's almost like there are certain times when a grown man is allowed to cry. Right. And, and it's, they're like few and far between and they all usually do involve something, something that is, that is um, very man-like in the situation, or it might be death or something like that. But very often where I'm like, when I think about times where I've been sad and upset, there's more shame and embarrassment put toward me about crying over something than there is about getting angry at. It. And I think that we learn that. And we also, we learn to kind of shield off emotions from, or, or really vulnerable, not emotions, because we express emotions with each other. I think we, sh- we wall off or, or, or put aside or do not allow ourselves to be vulnerable with one another in our friendships as men we very often don't talk about things that are very, very serious. Um, You know, uh, now that doesn't mean that you have to go out that I'm saying like every guy has to get a friend, a guy friend and and talk about like really, really serious stuff all the time. You you pick and choose who you want to share things with because that's just human nature. Right. I think women do that as well. But like I I met a friend, a male friend of mine a couple of weeks ago for drinks and lunch. Um, locally we used to we used to be colleagues you know we teach at different schools and we were talking about we were talking about some serious stuff we were talking about like how it's been like over the last year we were comparing we were talking about what medications were on for anxiety and and how bad it got Hmm. you know and how like you know as i preoccupied myself by keeping busy as much as I could. And he was like, yeah, I started drinking a lot more. And we got into a, I mean, we had a very, very serious talk on the likes that like Bryson cats don't have until like late in the book. And, you know, and not to pat myself on the back or something, but it's just like, I don't have that many conversations with friends about that. I don't have conversations about that very often with my own father, who I have a very good relationship with, but there are things my father does not talk about. Um, uh, you know, or will come out in snippets, you know, uh, Vietnam being one of them. Um, but with Bryson and cats, it's like, yeah, they're being very typical men in this situation. They're talking about the task at hand all the time. They're, they're criticizing each other, getting mm-hmm. at each other's on each other's nerves. And I have a question in here about what's Bryson's role as a responsibility when it comes to cats demons and I wonder if for a significant portion of the book that Bryson's actually helping his friend, but not realizing it because it's keeping cats away from all of those things that were really, really bothering him, you know, or really just digging at him, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but then cats falls off the wagon when he goes home and works again. And, and, and Bryson's the bills like really, really frustrated with him. 
but they kind of reach an understanding and it's, it's, it is, it's kind of poignant because they're like, you know, you're, Bill does not feel like he's a savior in any way. Um, and I don't think he would have said, I don't know. I didn't get the feeling that he's like, you know, like I saved this guy's life or whatever, but I think on some level, like he gave cats a little bit of just an anchor or something, something to hold on to with this whole trip and stuff. And, um, and yeah, so, but yeah, I think, I think it's showing a very genuine friendship evolve from what was just kind of an acquaintance. And um, I think there's a real heart to the whole relationship between the two of them that eventually does come out. Yeah. And I think, you know, I've had this, well, first of all, that's what the woods affords you because Mm -hmm. you are like escaping not necessarily with the intent of well i don't know what steven's intent was but you're somewhere away from those troubles now you carry them with you to a certain extent emotionally and you know internally but he's away from i think some of those triggers which Mm -hmm. is why you know without bill without the trail without potentially a purpose i i think and having that temptation all around him and trying to fit in there are all these things that that led him back to drinking i've had discussions with some students that are the they kind of take it upon themselves either unintentionally or intentionally to be the bill bryson like help out but they also have their own issues and then it becomes this kind of damaging situation where they're not working through their own anxiety but they're like trying to help out all of their friends with the anxiety and i you know i'm trying to tell them like that is so loving of you but you can't take everyone's burden on yourself without also like thinking about your own self yeah. And I think where Bill is, as far as I know, Bill seems to be more or less now self-deprecating humor um, as that Australian comedian, Hannah. Hannah Gatsby. Yes. Has said is, is also very damaging. So and you had said, you know, at the top of this that he, you know, he may not have the best picture of himself, but I think he seems like he's pretty strong that he could take on some of that emotional weight. Yeah. And I think you're right that he's helping Stephen without maybe overtly helping helping him. Um, I think maybe the one overt time is in fact having that conversation about the, the drinking and, and really questioning. And if he hadn't known his friend, like really known him, he wouldn't have thought that something was weird because he was even remarking how Stephen he was happy, there's something weird going on and, and the money and everything. So I, I think he does help cats out yeah it's, it's interesting to contrast him with because i've had students you know who are the same way um i remember having friends like that in when i was a teenager um and uh, a girl i dated in high school had this friends group where she kind of put it upon herself like she was going to help help save everybody of her friends who was like had a problem and it was, it was very, very odd where even they were just kind of like, they kind of thought she was like really, really self-important in that way. Um, but again, I think part of that's immaturity, right? You know, mm-hmm. like that's sort of, there's a, there's a rawness to everything when you're a teenager that, you know, you, you think everything is like way more dramatic than it absolutely has to be at the, at that age. Um, 
at 44, 45, I'm like, ah, this is, this is, it's going to sound cool, but it's like half the time. And I can see Bryson having this, this thought run through his head. Like, I really don't have time for this sort of like, you know, just all of the, all of the dramatics and all the seriousness and just kind of like the exhaustion that comes along with dealing all of that in life. Not that he would be dismissive of cats, but this sort of like, you know, and, and like I said, men, men have a tougher time. Um, men have a tougher time with those bonds, you know? And um, even when they form those bonds, sometimes it's along certain lines that they have been conditioned to feel are, is acceptable to but I think you're right. I think he's, um, yeah, I think, I think we're kind of both in line there where there, there's something that really genuinely evolves here. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is the two of them against the trail too, which is something I liked about the book. You know, there was an, and, and I like how he showed this when he tries to hike parts of it by himself. First of all, it's just a, it's, it's an arduous task for him because he's trying to do it in a way that's all him. And it's just really unfeasible infeasible or just untenable, whatever. Um, but I just, whatever the word is words. Yeah. Um, but also like even reading it, cats's absence is really noticeable in those parts. Mm-hmm. And um, now this is a true story. So he couldn't exactly insert cats into the, something that didn't happen with cats. Although I suppose he could have, but I'm actually glad that he showed the kind of solo parts of it because it does show you how necessary cats is to this whole thing. Um, because as much as I enjoyed his talking about the different parts of it, it really, really felt like something was missing that whole time. And when cats goes back, you're like, Oh, that's what was missing his friend. And it was really cool um, to, to see them get back together again. And then have that, have that ending the way they did. I agree. So now a little light here. They do meet two things. So they, they meet a number of people along the way. Um, and the hiking, hiking, uh, from what I understand, one of the things I got out of this, because I've never really met people who were, aside from, like I said, my uncle hiked the Appalachian Trail, but like I've never met anybody who's like a really, really hardcore person. Um, when we were at Dark Hollow Falls last weekend, actually, um, I think we met some through hikers on the trail. Uh, because a bunch of people came up to us as we were, um, the, they had, they were talking about how they kind of like went off the trail just to go to the falls because it's just like really cool to see and stuff. And they were all like kitted out. Right. You know, um, and tremendous growth of beards and everything. So like, Oh wow. Like these are hardcore hiking people. Uh, but I've never really known somebody who's like that hardcore about it, but they meet some hardcore people. And <laughs> there's always like a commentary of what they're carrying, like, you know, like let's compare notes on this and this and this product and this product. Um, why does it seem like he's always being evaluated or at this in some way is a competition? Is that just a male thing? Is that an American uh, thing? I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah, I don't. And it's that one interaction he like knew immediately was about to happen. Yeah. I think, you know, I feel like my dad would do that sort of thing. Like, <laughs> oh, I see you've got yourself, uh, you know, such and such. Um, I think you t- you talk about what you know. And so yeah. I, I think when I look at some of those interactions, 
it could be like a competition or mansplaining sort of situation. But also, I wonder if that man just wanted to talk to him. And so that was for him, his icebreaker, you know, to kind of talk about, oh, look at that. For me, it'd be like if I saw someone reading a book, like, oh, you know, tell me about that book. So maybe it's it's a I I think there are multi layers, but could be an icebreaker, could just be a trying to show off and and know your your expertise. Yeah. And uh, say, why'd you do that? I got the feeling that for a lot of those guys, it was like making conversation, you know, because it's better than the awkward silences and stuff like that. Now, at one point, don't they meet like a group of like total like youthly yuppie types? Is that the one where they where cats ended up moving out? He's like, I can't stay in here. Yeah, yeah. And then he he steals the laces off the the boots of the one person in this sort of get revenge and like i'm like looking at those people and i'm like good (laughs) i know it sounds cruel but like these people were just kind of like um you know uh, assholes (laughs) just like that sort of like imposing oh i see you're here well i'm just gonna dump all my like no real that sort of like no real concept of anybody else but them and yeah yeah yeah. sorry no go ahead that intro i was just gonna say they just seemed like a party crowd you know Mm -hmm. like what's we've got this idea let's go drink in the woods for a couple days but weren't you know taking it as seriously and it seemed like he could tell bill could tell which were the serious hikers and which weren't. Yeah. Um, but that is unfortunate, just like those type of people. And we, we see these people in real life, you know, just that they're raucous mm-hmm. and some, sometimes raucous people, cause I can be raucous. Okay. Sometimes <laughs> raucous people I think are fun in that. Like you really, you would love to be a part of that group and wonder what's going on, but this seemed like they were raucous and also just being inconsiderate of space because mm-hmm. they were being, build stuff around and and yeah just being disrespectful yeah there's a shared like even if he doesn't necessarily like all the people he comes across and he likes some of them and doesn't like all of them it's not like he's one of those people who hates everybody um but among some of them there's almost like it's it's almost like you've done the doing this long enough or whatever that it's completely unspoken, but there you get the vibe of the place. You get the vibe like, you know, yeah, we have to share this cabin together. We have to share the shelter together. But there's a an unspoken mutual understanding of, of you know, how you are around each other, you know, and mm-hmm. um, certain expectations and sharing the stuff. And, and, and the and these people just kind of like are like, forget that, you know, because they have no again no concept you're right i think the party the the party the party crowd that sort of thing and it's um yeah and so they were like really off putting because i've maybe because i've run into so many of those people in my life who are just like <laughs> you know like oh <laughs> you're going to be that <laughs> um but then you have mary ellen <laughs> oh mary ellen <laughs> who i have to tell you like if there were there were certain things that just thinking about the, before I even read the book, um, there were certain things I remembered off the top of my head. 
Cats with the Little Debbie Snacks. Um, the whole thing with the newspaper boy uh, sack and everything. The, I, I did remember all the facts that he, not all the facts that he talked about, he, that he went into long things about the stuff like that. Um, I remember the part where they, where they got, they met the family again. They were all like, oh, look, dad's lost a lot of weight. And I remember Mary Ellen. I remember the scene where they finally have ditched her and they're sitting in the cafe or wherever they are, diner, and he's about to eat the pie. And Kat says something. He's just like, you ruined this for me. <laughs> something. But I remember how annoying she is. Um, so I think she's one of the more memorable supporting characters of the book. Um, they're kind of cruel in the way they just ditch her, flat leave her. Go ahead, go ahead. Before you even ask this question, did they technically ditch her? Oh. Because she she was not a member of their party. She attached herself to them. Would you consider that ditching? I mean, it's fine if you do. I'm just wondering, do you consider that ditching? Um, I technically probably um uh, <laughs> I'm I'm looking at I'm looking at the book here I'm just trying to think. Oh okay I thought you were looking up I uh, should look up a definition Bill has that it? he says she came into the woods on her own we're not responsible for her you know He's like and Cass is like I just kind of feel like we bad we left her there on her own um and he's like and he's like i didn't see anybody because they just kind of like um you know she had i don't i think i think that you're right (laughs) in that like she kind of glommed onto them and i think that's what she had been doing Mm -hmm. to other groups of people um uh and cats was just kind of like i kind of feel you know um, cause he says like, she's probably still walking right now, wondering where we got to like, cause they just, they do. I mean, they were going to do what they were going to do, yeah. but they knew that she had the, I said they ditched her because she had the, she had the expectation that she was going to walk with them and they kind of like turned their timetable up or like, let's go while, you know, let's go, let's yeah. go, let's go. Um, and he's just like, uh, if you're not gonna have your pie, <laughs> can I eat it? Oh gosh, yeah. It's just never don't ever ruin a piece of highlight out of me again. So, you know, um is the portrayal is this being sexist? And should I is it oh, you know, are we bring do we have should we bring that in here or is she just an annoying person? Had she been a guy, would they have done the same thing? I honestly think if she'd been a guy, they would have done the same thing, you know. yeah i think so and i mean you know bill when he has an opinion of somebody he lets it show whether Mm -hmm. male or female i'm trying to think now that you you've used the s word i'm trying to think whether there were any positive like female interactions besides the storekeepers i don't remember how many oh no i I don't think at the time you got a lot of female hiking hikers yeah i was gonna say they wasn't there that pair, but no, that was the, the pair of young women that got killed. Yeah, um, yeah, we'll talk about that. Yeah, so that's that's hard for me to say. It seems like it is because we don't have anything to compare it to. 
But mm. if we just go like, is she annoying? And how does he react to other annoying people? Yeah. Like he, as well as Steven, they both, you know, kind of um, push people off pretty easily. Yeah. I think Bill, I think that interaction you were just talking about where the man came out and was talking about his backpack or whatever. I think Steven comes out and says something about, oh, what's that? Like, translucent bubble thing or whatever <laughs> uh, to find things and like you can't do it yourself so i think they both just don't give a you know what yeah yeah on something so i i would say it's not sexist um but we don't have any evidence about how he would interact with someone on the trail but i mean he interacts well with children and mm-hmm. um others so i think it's more the person than the the sex or the yeah gender. No, I, I agree with you too, but I felt like I need to bring it up because I realized yeah. that they were talking about, you know, and I think there's sometimes, I think there are little sexes in their comments and stuff, but I, I don't think it's a misogyny in the way that like we see in other, in other uh, works and stuff like that. Yep. Um, yeah. So it's just, it, but it's, it's just because she is so irritating and she is just like those people at the camp we were talking about where cat steals their shoelaces she's also really imposing too like at one point she like they're they're cooking or whatever or they have uh food laid out she's like yeah don't mind if i do just takes their food yeah. you know and stuff like that and then like every time you turn around she's like she's acting like she's the smartest person on the entire appalachian trail and yet she's like a total nitwit in some regard too. And it's just, um, and I've met people like that, <laughs> men and women um, who, who have a tendency to be like that. So, but I just, I found the whole, the whole episodes with her and everything like really supremely irritating and then, mm-hmm. but funny at the same time. Um, so uh, getting into some of the, um, the nonfiction like nonfiction, nonfiction stuff, the more factual stuff, you know, he, he does break from the narrative. I talked about that. I thought it was essential to the book. Um, I thought, like I said, I thought it was weaved really, really well. I learned a lot about the Appalachian Trail. I knew what it was prior to reading the book, but got, I felt I got a better understanding of it than had I just bought a book about the trail, you know? like a guidebook mm-hmm. or something. What do you think? Oh, I agree. Uh, one of my favorite parts is when he describes the moose as a cow drawn by a child. Mm-hmm. And um, though that was really sad about how people just go out and start shooting moose as if they are yeah. vicious animals, but just gives me more incentive to, to hike around those areas so I can encounter them in real life. Yeah. What no, would you I, do? If I saw moose and oh my gosh, like this the reaction I would burst into tears. I mean, you just the <laughs> I'm I'm picturing this. I think your head would explode. It probably would. I definitely <laughs> will burst into tears. I've already planned for that, but um it, it'll be a momentous occasion to see one in, in real life. Um yeah, no, I enjoyed it. I think it it part of this novel reminded me of a novel that we did last summer question mark by king solver oh prodigal summer yeah just with the with how interwoven the the facts are of nature with the actual narrative 
Mm-hmm. And I know that this is, of course, nonfiction compared to that being fiction, but I I thought that it worked really well. I think there was only one section where I thought that it had like segued kind of awkwardly. And he mm. said something like, well, let me get back to what we we're doing. And then he did like a he didn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then I was like, what's going on here? But otherwise, yeah, I think it's it was really interesting to have him hiking. And you're not only learning about him and his friend, but you're also learning about the towns, the, the nature of the, the forestry system itself, um, the history with, you know, the government and what they did with the, those things. And it's interesting because, of course, it's dated now. Yeah, because I'm looking at some of these numbers would seem like really bad. And you're wondering, oh, man, that was, you know, 10 to 20 years ago. What's it like now? So I I think he he almost does a great service, um, hopefully raising awareness, depending on if people like this kind of um, travel log. Yeah. Um, And there's a. There's the point that a reviewer makes where he says, like, he says it's a serious book despite all the hijinks, because uh, the reviewer says, by playing on our fears, he captures the ambivalence of our feelings about the wild. We revere it, but we're also intimidated. And um, I feel like he is he's making us more familiar with it through his story, but also through giving us all of the kind of rundown about it and stuff. Um, I feel that you and I understand the connection that one makes to the wild when they're out in it. I think we understood that going in anyway, Mm -hmm. but I wonder too, is um, that, or I I think anyway, and and you had mentioned this, I think at the beginning, either the beginning of of our actual recording that people are listening to now, or one of our many aborted Skype recordings, um, (laughs) that this is environmentalist in a certain way. And I think that it is too, you know, there's, he is saying things about the way humanity has treated the environment in the name of development. Um, And he's saying it in a couple of ways. Like one is the direct way of like, you know, timber and logging and um, how this came about and how it's now been preserved more because, you know, Every time you turn around, somebody wants to knock some of this forest down to make whatever. The other thing I think he is also saying is comes in when he talks about having to walk through Waynesboro. I think it was Waynesboro. Yeah. And how he's trying to walk across a highway, like how unwalkable so much of America is mm-hmm. because of the way we have built our roads and built our infrastructure and like a skewed sidewalks in the name of, I don't know, just not having to spend the money on them and things like that. And I think on that level, he's being environmentalist too, that like he is, we have just plowed through. Um, and I think you and I see it on a fairly regular basis. If you drive around the Charlottesville area, they're, every time I turn around, they're building another house. Or another subdivision yeah. here, and it's getting really far. Northern Virginia got like that too. And you're just like, who's gonna live in these houses, first of all? I'm not sure. I just and, I went to Richmond on Sunday, and as I was driving, I saw that they've got some complex. I don't know if it's a hotel, don't know if it's an apartment, but it's mm. right next to the prison. Mm-hmm. So that was confusing for me. Yeah. So you're like, but I mean, are you like with me here that there's like many, there's like myriad ways in which he's showing that we're like really just messing up the environment. 
Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, and our local connection to it, because he does hike. He spends a decent amount of time. He and Kat spend a decent amount of time in Virginia because, as he notes too, compared to the Smoky Mountains and parts of you know the southern part of Virginia, whatever part of the of Tennessee, North Carolina, like pass through, Virginia is kind of an easier part. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like way not leisurely, but it certainly is not as um, as arduous. But we've both been on, um, I mean, I've never been on a significant portion of the trail beyond like a few miles in Virginia. Um, You mentioned Humpback Rocks. Now there's two ways down the mountain from Humpback Rocks and the Blue Ridge Parkway. One is to go back the way you came up, which I've done. But the other one is to pick up the Appalachian Trail and switch back all the way back to the parking lot. That's a good, like, I think in total, including the hike up to humpback rocks, that ends up being about like five or six miles. Mm. Um, So I did that the first time I ever did it. This was like 15, 16 years ago. I did that. It is. um, There are points where I'm like, am I going the right way? Like, because you are just kind of like, this is way longer than I thought it would be because you just don't have the concept. It's something that he talks about in the book. You don't have the concept of what a mile actually is until you walk in. You're like, yeah. I still have it, you know, but I'm like looking at the map. Okay. Switchbacks, but it's really much more leisurely. It was, it was like way less of a slope and you're just kind of going down and you're switching back and a deer across the path. And you're like, okay, I'm, I am walking in the woods and I'm not all the trail is like that, but I think there are significant portions of it that are a lot more level. Um, but we both have like, you know, you, you gasped when I said Roanoke, um, <laughs> And we're both in Charlottesville, which is about what half hour, 45 minutes east of um, both Skyline Drive and the Blue Ridge Parkway. So when he's in Virginia, you know, we're what, 45 minutes away from Waynesboro? An hour from 30. Stanton? Yeah, 30. Yeah. And yeah. then in like another 30 from Stanton. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a little bit of familiar local connection to that. Um, and I think, you know, the, the, is, it, uh, I don't know, like, um, did you did you feel a connection to that? Um, what what did you pick up from that? Oh yeah, no, I loved because this can all be so impersonal because mm-hmm. it's somebody else's story. Yeah, but once it hits spots that you know, like once he hit Roanoke, once he hit yeah Charlottesville, Waynesboro, I guess more so. Mm-hmm. Then I was like, oh wow, you know, really in tune, knew what he was talking about, and and all that stuff. So I I enjoyed those moments. Um, what about the murder? Because he so so sinisterly. Yeah, yeah, I know. And then the murders began. Um, a couple of months after he and Katz hike through Shenandoah National Park, Bill reads about two women being murdered. And I looked the case up, it has not been solved. Um, Mm -hmm. as of 96, 97, when this book came out, it hadn't been solved, it was not solved. Is it necessary, intrusive to the narrative? What's the point of bringing it up? Um, I don't think it's intrusive because Mm -hmm. it related to a section that he was taking part in. Mm -hmm. And then he was also able to talk about kind of the history of violence within the, the trail and also compare it to violence 
outside of hiking. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think so. Um, and why bring it up? Oh, well, I mean, that would certainly be something that I would, I, I think that's something that somebody considers when they think about going, I just talked about yeah. how I would love to go on a trail and I would do it by myself, but the, you know, the, the dangers heightened, heightened being by yourself, number one, being female, number two. Mm, so I, it's true. certainly a consideration. I think people don't not think about that when they're embarking on such a trip. Yeah. And I areas, you know? Yeah. And I think it's important to note this, especially since it was so recent to his trip, um, that it's, it is not expected by a person who just thinks of hiking in the woods that you would get, that you would be murdered, Mm -hmm. you know, like, and then not that it's common. That's the other thing. It was shocking. I mean, murder is shocking anyway, but it was more shocking because it's so rare and the violence that you expect would be like, you know, being an, a, a, an unfortunate counter with a bear, you know, like, you know, you're, you're so cognizant of the natural danger that you're putting yourself in. Right. Um, falls, broken limbs, animals and things. You don't think of the possibility of that happening. And, and it's just, it's um, I think it is intrusive in a way that it has to be. Hmm. but not in the, I'm taking you completely out of the book with this. Like it's showing like how even this world, this little slice of um, whatever we have going on here can be intruded upon and it can make people feel very unsafe, you know? And like you said, um, it's, it's compounded when it's, you know, you're walking alone or you're even with your friend, these two women were, but it was compounded by the fact that they were, um, I think they were partners actually. Um, or a couple, if I if I recall correctly. Oh, and, that, that was creepy because yeah. they were like making love in the fields and this man was watching them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they were. Yeah. So, I mean, that's even worse, right? So it's just, it's, it's, um, and so it's all of that compounds it, um, you know, so, uh, and, uh, and like I said, unfortunately, it's never been solved. Yeah. Um, but I think it's necessary for him to bring up because, it is the way the world does intrude upon our solace, you know, and uh, which, which happens, you know, quite a bit, quite a bit in different ways in the book too. Mm-hmm. So, um, so we're, we're almost done. I do have like two more questions, uh, including our, our usual, but I do have the question. Do you agree with the last sentence of the book? We hiked the Appalachian trail. <laughs> I was reading that. I think technically it's true. He doesn't specify, he doesn't use an adverb, which helps him out. And then he doesn't specify, I guess, to what extent the trail is. So, you know, quite literally, yeah, he did. You know, I could go on. I mean, I've hiked the Appalachian Trail given certain sections that I've been on. He doesn't completely hike it. He, you know, he doesn't use that. So I, I think in spirit, he absolutely hiked yeah. the Appalachian Trail. Um, did he, you know, if we're being legalistic about it, he did not do the whole thing. But I think um, it also comes down to what it means to you. And so if that's what it means to him, then we have to say, yes, I agree with you. Yeah, I, I grew up around too many people who... 
passive aggressively demanded perfection of you from <laughs> the experience. Passive aggressively. No, sure, like yeah. passive aggressively. Like, hey, I did this. Yeah, but you know, somebody scored better than you. You know, like I completed this. Yeah, but you didn't do it in under this time. You know, oh, I hiked the Appalachian Trail. Yeah, but you skipped a section. Seriously, I grew up around that. And that's the thing I was talking about earlier about like the question I had about the competition, you know, the idea that like, and, and, and I want to say men are more susceptible to this than women, but I don't, I have no basis for this, that, that men tend to get like that and they, they get hyper competitive, but I know plenty of hyper competitive women. So I, you know, so maybe it's just a human nature thing, but the, the the reason he says this is is a couple of pages earlier. Um, you know they're coming off the trail, and Cats uh, asked him, "Do you feel bad about leaving it?" And he's like, "And Bill's like, oh, kind of yes and no. What about you?" He's like, "Yeah, yes or no." And he says, "Anyway, we did it. We hiked Maine." He's like, "Stephen, we didn't even see Mount Catherine." And he's like, "Another mountain. How many do you need to see, Bryson?" He said, um, "And." He's, he, I snorted with a small laugh. Well, that's one way of looking at it. Katz says, it's the only way of looking at it. Katz went on and quite earnestly. As far as I'm controlled, I hiked the Appalachian, Appalachian Trail. I hiked it in the snow. I hiked it in the heat. I hiked it in the south and I hiked it in the north. I hiked it till my feet bled. I hiked the Appalachian Trail, Bryson. We missed out on a lot of it, you know. Details. Katz sniffed. I shrugged not unhappily. Maybe you're right. Of course I'm right, he said, as if you were seldom otherwise. <laughs> so, like, I like that because I sit there and I'm like, what they did is way more than, like, 90% of the people reading this book have done, right? So, like, this is a trip. We did this. I mean, I don't, I'm kind of like with you. I'm like, yeah, you hiked it. You mm-hmm did a significant portion of it. I don't think I can say that the three or four miles I've spent on that trail in total tells you that I hiked the Appalachian trail, right? That, that would be a lie, but, and I don't know if there's a benchmark for any of this, but I'm just like reading this. I'm like, yeah, man, you hiked this thing. That's pretty impressive too, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. So, but I think it also speaks to that sort of weird, like I said, passive aggressive demand for perfection. Like, yeah, but somebody did it better than you or somebody does it, blah, blah, blah. And you're just like, like I completed a marathon. Yeah, but you didn't finish first. But I completed the marathon, <laughs> you know, like, you know what I mean? That that's what, that's what I think he's, he is pushing back at, or at least that's what I'm reading. And I'm like, yeah, you did. And, and be proud of that too. So is this required reading? Mm-hmm. What a good question. I, I'm going to say no, but I do think it is worthwhile, reading, which is, you know, I think this happens a lot to our, our book, but I'm just wondering, you know, if, if I were to, you know, if someone were on their deathbed and they were trying to read the litter, the great works before they died, would this be included? And I would say no. I would say that it is if you want to start exploring the genre of travel writing. Uh, yeah, I can. I, I can agree with you. This there. was my this was my introduction to travel writing. Um, I maybe I read an article or two before this, but this is my first like travel log that I've ever read. 
And uh, this was a, it's, this is a perfect travelogue introduction. So in that regard, I think it is required. So we don't have any feedback as of now. So um, keep those please letters coming and stuff like that. Um, you know, we've got past episodes out there. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook and all that. Uh, so we're going to continue on our journey here. Stella, what are we reading for next For episode? next time. Yeah, so I made a joke or we made a joint joke on the previous episode that we were about to follow a theme of doggos, I think <laughs> you said um, old yeller and Marley and me Marley and, <laughs> me and all that. And then not as a joke, but we are going to embark on a short journey on this theme of hiking. And I did ask permission first because I <laughs> wondered, would it be annoying if I also picked a hiking book after this hiking book? But Tom said it was okay. So I think it will be. So what we're going to be doing for the next three episodes culminating in our next 10th, which is 70, is looking at more travel books. Mm -hmm. And so the one that I picked to contrast with this one is Wild from Lost to Found on the Pacific Crest Trail by Cheryl Strayed. Yeah. So we're going completely across the country for this. We sure are. Um, it's funny because you, it, it, the actual text exchange was something along the lines of, would you mind if we did another hiking story? And my, my reply was, is it wild? <laughs> and you're like, yeah. And I was like, because it's the only other book I know about hiking. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So come back for that wild by Cheryl Strait. This is going to be, this is going to be good. Um, come back for that in, a, in about a month or so. And until then, uh, thank you very much for listening and take care. And if you need to, then just lay out another ding dong or a ho ho and maybe someone fun will come and pick it up and join your party without your permission. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> Never ruin another man's pie. Yeah, I guess not. Now I know. All right. Good night. Goodbye. <laughs> Come on over. I'll show you where some fiction This ain't my style. This ain't my home. I'm going where it's safe to roam. Take me out the way back. listening to required reading with tom and stella which is brought to you by two that's two if you're interested in learning more about the books we've read or want to comment on the episode follow us on facebook at facebook.com slash required reading with tom and stella if you would like to email us to comment on the episode or continue our discussion you can reach us at requiredreadingcast at gmail.com we will read every email we get on future episodes. We're looking for more visibility, so if you liked this episode or the show in general, why not leave us a review on iTunes? Thanks again for listening, and come back next month for our next episode.